1: Welcome to
0: the University of Adversity. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Super grateful to have you here. If you're new to University of Adversity, welcome to the family. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. You guys are in for a treat today. We have an amazing conversation. Don't leave this episode until the end. I promise you that. If you get any value, share it with a friend. Do what you can. Leave us a review. somebody you feel needs to hear this, especially in the marketing entrepreneur sales world, share it with them. I'm telling you guys, you're going to get massive value from this. All right. So the one and only David Asarno is going to be joining us today. He's a six time ClickFunnels two comma club and 2018 eight figure award winner. David is a visionary entrepreneur, digital marketing leader, and the founder of the digital marketing and media empowerment agency, Business Nitrogen which has managed over $20 million in paid advertising spend in 2019. David is passionate about helping entrepreneurs, health, health entrepreneurs, and thought leader who creates massive value, leverage, and profits through his proprietary monetization strategies. David has an MBA in business results. And in his 20s, David built a $45 million new division for a company over five years. In his 30s, David launched an eight-figure franchise that was ranked a top 15 hot franchise by Entrepreneur Magazine in five years. After this success, David conquered his stage fright and became a top business speaker for Tony Robbins and Chet Holmes, which transitioned him into his current business. Over the last decade, David has built Business Nitrogen as the go-to expert for entrepreneurs looking to accelerate their business results through funnel marketing. Now this was an incredible podcast because not only is this guy just full of knowledge and belief in his vision, he is just, he's creating a massive movement and his vision is so big that his team believes in him so much that it's hard for you to not get behind his vision. And the exciting part is we're actually working with him. My Our company at Mike Up, who launches University of Adversity and some other podcasts that we're about to be launching, some other podcasts that we worked with in the past, we are going to be launching his podcast called Get Naked in Business, which is really awesome, meaning strip down, the raw, all that stuff at really focusing on the rawness of your business. And David gets into that. We get into all kinds of stuff about talking about how important belief is, how important sales is. We get into his his story on when he started and some of the things, the life lessons that he learned as a kid that transferred into his life later on. We talk about visualization. We talk about a lot of things. And if you're an entrepreneur, if you're in sales, you're going to want to listen to this because I got so much from this. Again, we went we went a little longer than I normally like to go, but I didn't want to end it because there's just so much gold. And David has such amazing energy that you are going to be blown away and you're going to want to follow him after. And you're going to want to check out all his stuff because if you're at that level of your, of your business and your life and you need, you know, to accelerate in that area, he's the man to work with. He's also got a Ted talk coming out that we get into and we unpack it all. So stay tuned right to the end. So excited for you guys to listen to this. David Asarno coming right up and he's here. David, how are you, my man?
1: <laughs> I am Awesome. Lance. How you doing, man?
0: <laughs> so good, man. So excited to have this! Obviously, we've been talking about doing it for a while. You know, every time I connect with you, I see those those pla- those plaques on the wall, and I'm just like, "Wow!" It's uh- <laughs> everybody. Anybody watching this or seeing it on YouTube? I mean, it's it's pretty awesome. So, thank you and welcome to the show, man.
1: Thanks for having me, Lance. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I've so you know a lot of people, especially nowadays with where we're at in social media we only get to know the person in kind of one perspective, you know, you get to know somebody on one part of the journey, but then you're kind of wondering like, what was it like before? How did they get into all this stuff? You know, and for yourself, you know, you're doing so well in the marketing world and, and helping so many people. But what I love to know is, you know, what was it like for you growing up? You know, like what, where did you grow up and maybe walk us through a bit of your childhood and your journey through that and kind of how you got to where you are today.
1: It's an interesting question. And there's so many different ways, places you can go as far as growing up. I mean, I grew up in a household that, frankly, from the time I was probably about seven or eight, if I wanted something, I actually had to go earn it. So I had a paper route when I was probably about nine or 10. I used to go knock on people's doors. I grew up in New Jersey. And so we had cold and we had the leaves and I would knock on people's doors and say, can I rake your leaves? And they would say, how much do you want? And I would just say, pay me what you want. And sometimes I got $3. Sometimes I got $5. Sometimes I got $10. Yeah. And I would do whatever it took. It, it's kind of funny. I have the first bike still that I bought myself when I was a, a 10 speed bike that I built. I bought myself probably when I was about 14 years old, I still have it here today. And my wife's like, why won't you get rid of it? It's you don't ride it. It's a piece of junk. It reminds me of if you want something, it's there for you. You just have to do whatever it takes. And so when you look back on, you know, when I look back on my childhood, you know, I loved taking long walks in the woods. Literally, I would go for hours. I would just disappear. For hours in the woods. I grew up in Northwest Jersey, so there were a lot of woods versus near the city, and and I worked. I work. I started off. Uh, I washed dishes. I lied about my age so I could go work for Johnny over at uh, Flanders Valley Farms. He would Johnny ran it. Johnny, you know, he, he ran it. And my friends and I washed dishes, and so I made myself one year older so I could get a work permit, and then. I wash dishes again at another restaurant and I bust tables and then I'd go in on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings and clean the bar and vacuum and do all the, the shit that no one else wanted, wanted to do. Mm. And I didn't think any, I worked at, I worked as a stock boy at Jamesway. It was like the Walmart of, you know, I did all those things. Didn't even think, do I want to get a job? I, I mean, I ran track. So I played sports. I went to school. And I worked as much as I could to earn the money because if I wanted something, I had to go get it.
0: How much of an impact are your parents with installing that those that value of having to work for things?
1: I mean, how much
0: did they drill that in you at a young age?
1: They didn't. My they didn't. My sister worked. My brother didn't. Nothing against that. He was you you know at the time I guess he didn't have to to mm-hmm. you know but. No one ever asked me if I said I want something, they would say, well, go get a job, go rake someone's leaves, go shovel some driveways. It wasn't, you have to go do it. It wasn't, this is a work ethic and follow it. It was, I wanted things and I had to go figure out how to pay for it. So I did. Yeah. It was like one of those things i I don't even remember someone saying, go get a job. You have to go get a job. It was like, yeah. I want these things. I want the comic books. I collected comic books. I still have my comic books from when I was a kid. I yeah, collected yeah. baseball cards. I went out and bought them myself. I still have them. I even have my Max. <laughs> you probably say I'm a pack rat. I have the Max box cards that I went out and bought when I was a, a little kid. Mm, that's- so to
0: kind of remind you of what you what you did to have to
1: get there right like there's a lot you know, I am nostalgic in that way yeah i'm yeah, very sure. nostalgic i i have things that were from when i went to work with my grandparents i'm actually looking over there i've got if you ever come down here on my desk i've got my both sets of grandparents with me when i was a kid and with my kids when they were younger you know our history and everything that we've done, everything that we thought, the actions that we took, the mistakes that we've made, help us to become who we are. Either if, if we learn from them, the mistakes and the actions and everything, we continue to grow and, and get better.
0: Yeah, I love that because I mean, without the without learning those lessons, you would never know what is good and what is bad, and. As much as we love the easy times, it's where it's those hard lessons of those those difficult times that you learn and you grow from.
1: Absolutely. I was just at a, a it's funny. We do learn from them and some mistakes we make again and again.
0: Yeah.
1: And then we have to ask ourselves, why? Why do I keep making the same mistake? <laughs> yeah. What do I need to learn?
0: <laughs> yeah. What was the biggest what was the biggest thing you can remember growing up? A challenge or some sort of struggle that had the biggest impact in your growth that you may have not realized at the time, but you look back and you're like, oh man, that was, that was a big moment.
1: I know sh- what it is. As soon as you asked that question, I knew right away <laughs> that one thing that changed everything for me when I was a kid, my grand, my grandparents left, sold the, here's an interesting story and then I'll, will lead me into so you understand the framework yeah. behind it. When, my, when I was three, my grandparents, my grandfather was 50, my grandmother was 49. And I remember them leaving. They moved down to Florida. They sold everything, and they started a business. And they put everything into that business. I remember at that age, I, they'd, pick, they'd flew me down on a plane, and I stayed with them for months at a time. And then as they got older, I used to go down, once I was in school, I'd go down on summer breaks and, and Christmas breaks. And I remember my grandfather, it was a, they did orthotics and prosthetics, so artificial limbs and braces. They did home health care. He I remember when I was two years into the business, he actually bought a building, and it was so big. He only used a fraction of the building. Eventually, he filled it up. And when I got older, he had hospital beds in there. They had wheelchairs. So I'd sit there, and I would do all the work that the stock boys didn't want to do. So I'd sit there with Fantastic, spinning the wheelchair wheels, cleaning the tires, cleaning the spokes, really polishing them up. My grandfather would have me clean the bathrooms. I'm like a six-year-old kid, seven-year-old kid, going and scrubbing toilets, cleaning the bathrooms. He said, if you ever want to run a company, you have to be willing to do every job in it. Okay, that's a good lesson to have if you want to build a company, everyone's going to look at you, and if you're not willing to do it, they're not going to be willing to do it. but if they see you doing it, they're more willing to to step up and and do whatever it takes if they see you doing it so it, it I used to go on stock deliveries and and whatnot. The one summer I came down, and he paid me i mean the one of the ways that I made money is I worked all summer long for my grandfather from the time I was a little kid well. Yeah, I went to work with him five, six years old, and he'd give me an allowance. But it was I was there working and hanging with him, and you know, making sales calls with them and whatnot. One summer, probably about 14 years old, he picks me up, and he made a point of this. It's very interesting, just to see what my reaction would be, because I used to go to work with him every day. and My brother and sister would stay with my grandmother, go to swim lessons, go to the pool, you know, do all that, and I went to work with him every day he picked me up us from up from the airport and he said to me, Oh, by the way, this summer I decided I'm not paying you. (laughs) And I'm, I said, okay. And I didn't react. He said, I have this wheelchair. It's an electric wheelchair that's imported and it's been sitting here for a year. And I'm going to tell you what it costs me and anything you sell that wheelchair above the cost. what you're going to make this summer now you still have to clean the wheelchairs you still have to clean the hospital bed you still have to go on deliveries with the delivery guys and you still have to help out and do everything else you're doing and i'm not going to pay you unless you sell the wheelchair so i did everything i was supposed to do and i showed that wheelchair to everyone whether they needed a wheelchair or not it was like a cool thing it was this three-wheeled electric wheelchair that was an imported from Israel, barely fit through a door, door jam, and I still have pictures today of me scooting around in that thing, and I remember when I finally sold it, my grandfather took a picture of me with the people who bought it, you know, very proud moment because not only did I, I like that wheelchair, I thought it was fun to drive around, you know, I'm a teenage kid and we didn't have scooters and stuff, so that became my scooter for the summer. I showed it to everyone. It was a proud moment to know that not only did I sell it, I sold it at list price. So I walked home making over $1,500 that summer. Now for a 14 year old kid that bought me my new bike that I told you about. Remember, I told you about my bike that I still have. It bought me my bike that I, maybe that's why I don't get rid of the bike because it's the thing that I bought when I came home that summer. I I don't know. It, It may be. I love it. So, that taught me a lot about myself. It taught me that it wasn't going to be, he knew that it wasn't going to be easy, but he wanted to push me. He wanted to challenge me. He wanted to see what I would do with that challenge. And I was up for it. I didn't complain. I didn't bitch. I did everything I was supposed to do with the chance that I wouldn't make anything. And it was okay because I was hanging out with my grandfather anyway. That's really why I did it. Because it was, I got, I got my grandfather alone grand, when well, my brother and sister were at home. So it, it was, for me, it was, I guess, mul- multiple benefits. So the one thing that I think taught me everything was when I left college and I was bumming around as a freelance photographer for a few years, selling jobs, I could always sell. And one of the things he taught me is if you have a business, you have to be able to sell. If you don't, if you're not able to sell, you have a hobby. So I was able to go out there and sell and hustle jobs. I mean, seriously, that's what I did. For the first year and a half out of college, I'd go to the model talent shows and I'd bring my photography portfolio, one to get myself accepted that I had friends take pictures of me. And then once I was there, I was going over to all the moms and showing my photography work and booking jobs for the next month after the show. I got kicked out of quite a few of them, too, but I got escorted out by security for for doing that. From there, I went into corporate America. I went in the sales. You know, I did things that people told me I was crazy. They laughed at. Uh, I worked for a, in sales for a 50-year-old plastic packaging company. I came up with an idea after five years to start a new division, and I went to senior management, and I said, hey, I want to start this division. They said, okay, I got in front of the company. I talked about my big, hairy, audacious goal that I'm going to have the largest division in this company in five years. I'm going to be the fastest growing it, and I'm going to be the most profitable. Everyone laughed at me. Seriously, my boss looked at me and said, what the hell did you just do? And I said, I asked you if you wanted to see my presentation. He said, you better do what you just said. Six months into it, am I allowed to swear on this or no? Swear, please. Okay, six months into it, Mark says to me, he's like, can you close a fucking deal? <laughs> Seriously, I had not closed anything. I came up with a new idea. I had my, my Target 25 of dream clients that I wanted to get in front of. The McDonald's, the Sam's Club, the Walmart, Dairy Queen, Starbucks. I was building relationships but no one bought yet. He says, you have six months left, or I'm pulling the plug. Prove it to me. He's like, I don't think you can do it. Well, one of the things that people, he knew that he could, if someone told me I couldn't do something, sort of, I wanted to prove him wrong. So by the end of that first year, I think I closed about $2.5 million. It's far, far from being the fastest growing division in the company. But by the end of year two, we were at $22 million. By the end of year five, we're at $45 million. Wow. Okay. I did what we said we were going to do. And and that 45, I remember, was over $8 million in profit.
0: Wow. Okay, I got to unpack some of this. Like, this, okay. this, this is, uh, all right. So, let's talk about, I got to talk about the selling aspect. What made you a good salesman? What makes somebody a good versus a poor salesman? And what, how has it changed from then to now as far as people influence and sell? Or is it still the same? but different, maybe walk us through that selling. Like what makes somebody shitty, sleazy, or actually a good salesperson?
1: Well, there's a lot of questions, a lot of things to unpack in there. So the number one thing in sales is, here's what I was told. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Shut up and listen. Lessons from my grandfather. (laughs) (laughs) So he asked people a question. Simple questions. You know, today, still, people set up a meeting. I said, So we called this meeting today. How can I best serve you? What's going on? Tell me about your business. What's going well? What could go better? You know, if you could wave a magic wand and make anything happen, what would it be? Why would you want that? I mean, literally, questions. Yeah. Care about people, be interested more than you want to be interesting. See, one of the big things that most salespeople do is they sit there and they bloviate. They talk about how great they are. You know what I used to do? I used to beat the crap out of all those guys in sales, right? And so you just get to build relationships. To me, it was all about relationships. The reason that I was so successful, I believe, is persistence and determination. When someone told me no, I didn't take it as a no and I didn't stop calling on them. I took it as not yet. They, I didn't earn the right to them. I didn't build the relationship. I didn't show them that I provide enough value. It's no different than it is today on online marketing when we're building funnels and you know winning awards like you, you see behind me. Hmm. You have to add value. The only reason you get these things is because you're providing more value than someone's paying you in, in return. It doesn't so what I learned, everything I learned about. Sales funnels started when I was four years old, sitting in my grandfather's office. You got to find out what someone wants. What's the big challenge that they're having? And what can you do to paint yourselves as the solution to the problem they're having? And if you are and you do a really good job, people will buy from you. They'll refer other people from you. Now, are you a good fit for everyone? Are you gonna be successful for everyone? Is everything gonna work out? No. You have to go in with the belief that you are the best of the best, and you're going to serve everyone better than anyone else, and do whatever you can within your power to make it happen. doesn't matter if you're selling a wheelchair, electric wheelchair, to someone at 14 years old, or you're selling plastic packaging like I did. I didn't know how bad it was for the environment, but I did launch out a a product that's still out today called Greenware, and now it's huge. I remember trying to sell that cup that we came out was made out of polylactic acid corn and it was the first biodegradable cup. And I'd design that and launch it out. And that was a real hard sell because it cost about 40% more back then than uh, um, the PET, which is the Coke bottle cups. But I went from there to having an opportunity to be a CEO of a company. And once again, had to roll up our sleeves and compete.
0: Yeah. I just, I love the lesson there because it's, it's really all about the relationships and I'm learning that too. It's, do they trust you? You know, are you a slime ball? Like people can see through that stuff.
1: Yes. And no. there's so many people out there that will take advantage of others. And the big thing, it's interesting. You know, I I think that one of my biggest strengths is also one of my greatest weaknesses. I'm, I'm a nice guy and I, I trust people
0: yeah I'm the same I, as I
1: I, I've been screwed over, yeah. especially over the last four months, more than I have in the last 10 years. So I literally, before this call was saying, "What lesson do I need to learn?" Oh, we started the call this way. I really did, but before that, you didn't know why it was, I was I was like, "What lesson do I need to learn? And I know the lesson. You know, I've done handshake agreements my whole life. Yeah. I think we're in a time that you have to put some things in writing and make agreements up front on who's going to do what.
0: Yeah. I totally agree with you on that. It's so true. What, what about, okay. So getting into the zone of, of getting your idea to somebody, how do you, cause there's a certain mindset you got to go into, you got, there's a certain kind of belief and a certain kind of confidence, right? How did you hone at, like, how did you sharpen your sword in that, in that space? Because there's so many people that get no, and then they lose belief and they lose, they, they become a victim of some sort. Like, how do you okay. get into the zone?
1: That, that's well, how I got, get into the zone was very much how I got into the zone when I was in high school before a track meet. So I ran the 400 hurdles, intermediate hurdles and the high hurdles. My race was the intermediate hurdles, high hurdles. I was good enough at to get place. There's people, a guy faster on my team than me. I was the guy for the intermediate hurdles. That was, and so what i I discovered well, I discovered the power of our mind when I was sixteen years old. I was in a really bad place. I didn't tell anyone I was depressed. I was in like really bad place where I'm in a mall and there was a bookstore, and I walk in the bookstore and I walk over to the self-help aisle looking for something to help me, okay? Mm-hmm. And I saw a cassette yes it was a cassette that's how old i am that's what the gray hair does to you and so i i saw a cassette it was in the early 80s and it was on increasing self confidence on the front side it was a guided visualization hypnosis and on the back it was a subliminal and i used to have a tape recorder it was an old panasonic and when one side was done it would pop up click off and you'd have to turn it over and the only things that they had for earbuds were a single ear. So you actually were listening to it on a single ear versus two ears like we had today. Mm -hmm. And so I listened to that over and over and over again. And all of a sudden within 30 days, my belief was different about myself. I showed up differently. All of a sudden I was attracting friends uh, and more getting noticed by the girls, which I didn't feel that I was before. I actually always was. I just, was in my own head, had my own insecurities. So that cassette tape on the self confidence made me realize that wow, my mind's pretty powerful. So I went back to that bookstore and I said, "What else can I find?" Mm. And this time I found a book, and it was a book on guided visualization, and it talked about how the Russian athlete Russia was training their marksmen by guided visualization and the people who trained alone versus the people who trained and visualized and then the people who visualized the people who visualized got the same kind of improvement as the people who trained and visualized and better improvement the people who just went to the range and practiced and so my mind said connects the dots and i said oh i wonder how i could do this with track i wonder how i could do this on my race so I'd laid down before every race. And this is kind of funny because one of my friends from high school who also ran a track asked me at my 30th high school reunion, hey, I always wanted to ask you. He said, Did you, were you praying on the side of the track before every race? No one ever asked me what I was doing. That's the funniest thing. Wow. So I laid down on the inside of the track on the infield and I have a stopwatch in my hand. And I would close my eyes and I would visualize the gun going off and I would hit start. And then I'd be running down, cat, cat, counting my steps. And I'm there and I go boom and I go over the hurdle. And then I'm counting my steps between the hurdles. Boom, 15, boom, 15, boom, 15. And I'd visualize by the 300, usually where they call it the bear hitting your back. And I could see it hitting me, and I'm working through it, working through it. I'd cross the finish line, hit the stopwatch, and I'd look at the stopwatch. And if I didn't like the time, I'd catch my breath because I'm out of breath running it in my own mind. I'd catch my breath, and I'd start all over again until I got it exactly where I wanted it. And I usually would finish the race within tenths of a second of what happened on my watch. So I don't know why I'm going here, and I forgot the question that you asked.
0: No, we were talking about how you kind of got yourself primed or whatever that looks like even in the selling game, that belief. So you're on the right. You're. you're... I still
1: do it. I still yeah. do it. So, yeah. so before I go out to visit a client, a potential customer, I'd visualize the conversation. What are the questions I'm going to ask him? What are his responses going to be? Here's the objections he's going to. I mean, I'm literally, my wife to this day says, all you do is talk to yourself. I used to, That's. I mean, literally it's a conversation going on inside my brain and I'm, I'm actually having the conversation. So when you're in front of the person, it's like I've had this before. Oh yeah. Okay. I did this. I just had. Uh, I just had my first TEDx talk. Yeah. And I used to go to bed. Well, not. There's one other secret that I did. Back in high school, one of the things that I, here's. I was like, I wasn't doing the best in school. And I'm like, wow, our mind is really powerful. I wonder what will happen because when I read things, I didn't necessarily remember them. But when I listened to them, I had this auditory type recall. So. I used to record my notes into a cassette tape, and I'd go to sleep, like reading my notes and the the highlighted things in the textbook the night before a test, and all of a sudden I started getting all A's and B's. And I continued to do that through college. So that one little thing from self-confidence to understanding the power of visualization and what we and, and brought me to track carried on to how I changed how I studied, and to this day, before I did my TED Talk, I'd go to bed every night, and I practiced it. I I actually practiced it silently to myself. I would be giving the talk in my brain and visualizing myself in front of the room. I would see myself looking at people. I would be saying this word looking over here, and I get up on stage, and, and, you know, one other thing that I always said beforehand is uh, before I went on stage, I said, God, give me the strength to have the words enter enter my body, hit my heart, and come out my mouth because, you know, Hopefully and and hopefully I remember what everything that I practiced and I get up on stage and it went great because and I didn't practice it in front of a room. I didn't go out there and, and I only read it to people when I practiced it. It was all by myself, but most of it was sitting there visualizing with my eyes shut, seeing the people in front of the room. So that was something that I learned being a depressed teenager, how I work through it. And to this day, you know, before I give a talk, I visualize it. Before I, I, I ask for guidance, you know, before I, get, before I would do a webinar, I would sit there, jump up and down, get my heart rate up, you know, get, get the, the intensity going and do the same thing. Give me the words to serve the people in the room. Give me the, the power to be able to have the right things come out of my mouth because I don't prepare a lot. It's just whatever comes out comes out,
0: yeah, dude, <laughs> I love that so much man you you're a, a powerful dude, man, like I'm just like mesmerized by you there man like I love that so much because I did a little bit of that growing up, you know, playing hockey, but I didn't understand the value of it now I look back and i 'm like oh i should have I should have paid attention more because. I was always told you know imagine you're in the sweat imagine you're 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 doing that you're doing that same motion in as much detail as possible over and over again, and I just didn't get it when i was a, when I was a kid. it just didn't click. I thought, oh, this is stupid, but now realizing and hearing this and understanding that it's all the same, doing that then it it all it all transfers over to later in your life too, and what I want to get into next is like how how important absolute clarity is in that and how cuz you talked about how out there your goals were how mm-hmm. how important is it to get like super super clear on your goals and massive goals and you know as as much as it is being clear on your your visualization of like what you're going to do
1: well here's the thing if you don't have a goal you're definitely going to achieve it
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah <that's
1: laughs> if you cool. don't have a goal you'll achieve it yeah. if yeah. you aim Really high, you may hit it. And even if you don't, you're going to be shooting somewhere. And at least you have a target. Yeah. I didn't know. All I knew is that there was three, two divisions in the company. The company had $68 million in sales. If I divide it by two, I, at $45 million, had the largest division in the company in five years. I pissed off a lot of people, by the way, that were mad as hell that this young punk kid in his late twenties and early thirties and everyone else in management was in their forties and fifties. I pissed off a lot of people. I didn't care. I was doing my job and it was serving the company and serving my clients. There's something else that that I learned through that, by the way, people would always complain, well, I don't like this person. I don't like that person. And I, these are lessons from growing up from, from Papa Jules, your clients, your customers pay your bills. Without them, you don't have a business. You better love them. And if you don't love portions of them, they're human beings. So there's a beautiful part of every single one of them. Find something in that person that you love and focus on that. Mm. So that's what I did.
0: A lot of lessons you learned growing up.
1: I know. it's. I mean, I look back on it, and <laughs> it was it was the best childhood. I didn't think that we were poor. However, I was at a mastermind this weekend, and someone was talking about – You know, if they wanted to go to college, they used the Pell Grant because, you know, that's what poor people did. I'm like, I went to school on the Pell Grant. I didn't even know that you you had to be poor to get it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I didn't feel like – I didn't feel that way because I frankly had anything I wanted because I bought it.
0: Yeah. But here, I just want to – before we move on from the goal – the goals stuff here. This is, I just want to really hone in on this. Sure. There's a lot of people that say, set a goal that's achievable. That's like, you know, super easy to build your confidence. But then there's some, you know, the Grant Cardone's that are like 10 x biggest, the bigger goal, the better. Like, what would you say for somebody, even like myself or like entrepreneurs listening? Like, do you want to set those goals like massive, like dream massively, or do you want to set, or do you want to really focus on the achievable, the more realistic ones?
1: yes and yes. Here's the thing. What one person believes is achievable Mm. is what's achievable. I believe this. I write my goals like this. By X date or sooner, I will achieve X or greater Y or greater. This is what I believe I want. However, I'm open to receiving something even more. Okay, here's why. I can make this really big goal. I don't put a deadline on it by X or sooner because what happens is procrastination in the human mind creeps up and I'll I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait. And then all of a sudden subconsciously says there's no way that that's going to happen. So you, once you make a decision, you got to start taking massive action and you're going to have a lot of failure and things aren't going to work out. Momentum creates momentum and then you have a success and you have another success and then you have another success. And all of a sudden you start seeing it happen. You know, Bruce Lee, made a proclamation, and I don't remember the exact words, and I saw Bruce Lee up above your left corner, at least I knew it was Bruce Lee just because I can see him from the chest down, but I know that move, I know that book. okay? And Bruce Lee said, by, I forget the date, he used this goal-setting method, by the way, and that's where I learned it, by this date or sooner, I will be the greatest TV movie star, and I will have $10 million in my bank account. Okay. You know, when he said that 10 years before he actually had it 10 years before he was that superstar that we were watching on TV, every movie that he came out with, (laughs) he did that through the power of intention. He never gave it up. So to answer your question, I would set a big goal. And I would set a big goal that you believe that you can achieve. I have doctors all the time. I work with a lot of natural health care doctors and a lot of them do something called kinesiology or muscle testing yeah they always ask me what should I charge and I, I give they give me a number and i said let's test it nope that failed let's let's change the number it's only what you believe on an unconscious level that you can achieve that you actually will i don't care listen i I believe I believe with beyond a shadow of a doubt that we will have a hundred million dollar company in the next 10 years or actually next five years or less half a billion dollar company in 10 years okay now that by itself is a big hairy audacious goal but it's because of the amount of people that we're going to serve i believe that i will be serving 1.8 million young entrepreneurs and help ignite and inspire them into entrepreneurship versus corporate America in the next 10 years or less. This is what I believe that I will achieve. However, I am confident that I may do even greater. Here's why. My book that's coming out is called The Competition. It's actually about collaborative entrepreneurship. I'm going to be launching out this competition internationally. I see how and my company is going to be the incubator to help all these young entrepreneurs. It has nothing to do with the digital marketing agency that I have today, but it has everything to do with it. And people ask me this weekend, why? Because I had that person that fostered this in me from the time I was four years old. And many people don't have that person that's giving them that guidance and inspiration. And if all I can do is ignite and inspire them, they can do everything else themselves. But if I give them a seed, of a thought or idea, something that they didn 't think about before, that they could actually do this, that they could actually be successful, and seeing that success, I actually believe I can change the world by doing that in a positive way
0: man it's it's crazy the world we're living in right now and the opportunity that's out there in you know as an entrepreneur and online, and sometimes that's all we need is to have somebody kind of blazing the trail and, and, and seeing that things are possible and, you know, being able to learn from people that have done it before is just so important. Like for you, what do you see is people's biggest struggle entrepreneurs or let's say, you know, naturopaths or doctors at really making the two ends meet and clicking like what, what is it? Is it, is it like, what do you see as being the thing that just keeps popping up
1: and you're like Tuesday. this again? two things that that start with the same thing fear fear of success and fear of loss what's the worst thing that could happen you fail what's the worst thing that could happen you can lose everything what's the worst thing that could happen you can go hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt oh shit! i was there 10 years ago i could have people told me to file bankruptcy it was an easier path i chose not to and i had judgments against me all my credit cards were canceled my credit went to shit, and i started paying things back i mean i have an 840 850 credit score today it's like near perfect okay 10 years 10 years can change anything anything is possible i mean by the way that went from after i had already built a 45 million dollar company for someone else you know what the difference was i forgot all the people that helped me create the growth in that company i had a team i had a right-hand person i was batman i had robin i had my customer service team i had the shipping department i had everyone that collaborated together to cast out the vision and help implement what i came up with right i went on my own and somehow i I real i thought to believe that every all my previous success came through me and me alone And it wasn't until I woke up and remembered that I needed to create my superhero team today that I did, and everything started to turn around. In fact, my first person, I call him Alfred because I'm Batman. I call him Alfred because he was my first person. He's still on my team, and I'm speaking with him today, tonight, after we're done. Hmm. 10 years he's been with me.
0: Well, let me ask you this. Now that you've learned... All of that over the years. What is your biggest, your biggest challenge, or your biggest fear right now, in what you're doing in your business and just everything?
1: That I won't do enough. That I can't serve enough people. That I won't keep pushing. You see, I push a lot. You probably noticed that. Okay. Yeah, I like
0: I like that though. I like that about you. You got that energy, and I can see why your team responds the way they do, and why people enjoy that though. At the same time, you know.
1: So. I have some, I really want to make an impact and my legacy will be the number of people that I've positively impacted and positively impacted their businesses. And that's why I really enjoy what I'm doing. Mm. I mean, we have an agency, but most people come to us because they want a marketing funnel. People hire us because they realize that it all begins with strategy and having a defined plan to implement that strategy. And I'm willing to push someone down the road and the people who are willing to do whatever it takes, see success. The people who don't do their assignments are like to point fingers and say, well, you didn't do this, or there's all these things that could have been done. Okay, great. I, I do, I'll, I will do, I'm not perfect and we will do everything we possibly can to help someone.
0: Yeah. So let's, let's talk about what you're doing now with your podcast. Let's get naked. Let's get naked in business, buddy. Yeah, this is this is this is super (laughs) exciting because this is like, you know, working with you and seeing this come alive and just seeing the quality of interviews and and, and the value that this is going to provide is just it's going to be awesome. So talk us through what does get naked in business mean and why is this specific project, this podcast so important to you?
1: the first question what does get naked in business mean it means you got to strip naked you've got to be willing to get in front of the mirror you've got to be willing to jump up and down and look at what you see get real and raw and so when we look at I believe that my best lessons haven't come from my successes because I don't celebrate them a lot my best lessons have come from real raw insights that I've learned myself or I've gleaned from other people who were brave enough to and willing to share the struggle that they went through. So this podcast is designed to be able to share these insights, to share other people who are willing to share their stories. Because one of the things you said, Lance, was if you can see that someone else was here and was able to get here, someone else went through the same thing that I'm going through right now, and here's where they are today, it gives people hope gives people belief. It gives them the hope that there's the opportunity when they just take the positive actions going forward. And that's what this podcast is about. Entrepreneurs getting real raw and giving insights that people can utilize right now in order to change their life, to change their business, which in turn can change the world.
0: Yeah. How important is that vulnerability, that connection? Because that... I found even in my own life, not only is it healing to be able to tell your story and heal yourself, but how important is that to be able to tell, you know, and be able to create that potential trust with your, your clients, just people hearing that, like, what about the people that aren't willing to share their story? And like, how important is it to be vulnerable and, and like you said, strip down and just really be the real you when it comes to building a business and long-term.
1: I don't think I know any other way, so how important is it? It depends on who you want to attract. There's plenty of people out there who have success that aren't real, that aren't raw, that aren't willing to be vulnerable. I'm, I know there are, I'm sure there are. The question is who do you want to be? Mm. Who do you want to attract in your life? Who do you want to attract in your business? And what kind of people do you want to surround yourself with? Because you attract what you are. And when I, I believe that I have a really good team, amazing team, very much more than very good. And I believe that everyone is real, that they're willing to get vulnerable and to share what's good, what's bad, what's ugly. And let's do the right thing and make it better. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've, I've found that, you know, I used to, I grew up in a family where it wasn't okay to talk about things that was like either weakness, you know? Oh, don't, don't talk about that. Even in sports, you know, being, holding things in was tough, you know, and what I've noticed now interviewing so many people and having these conversations and even the most successful people and from all walks of life, you know, we're all so similar. But the one thing is that I notice is that the people that really, really blow my mind are the ones just able to express their truth and really open up and really just be themselves. And that's the true, that's, that's the, that's the gift, you know, like, <laughs> it really
1: is. It It's a gift that probably took a lot of practice and it's come out in layers like an onion because yeah. I remember the first time I went to a personal development seminar and I was asked to reveal things and I revealed things, but I knew I didn't reveal everything. Mm. And then the next time I got a little bit better. So over the last 20 something years, it's been a skill that's been learned. Yeah. And, Here's the fact though. Don't you just feel better when you get some when you're when you're real? Here's the thing. I yeah. it, you never have to worry as long as you're being real and honest. You never have to worry about being caught in a lie yeah. because you're always telling and it's always easy to retell the truth because those are the things that you're that are oh. here. It's coming right out of here, I right? So. so here here's what it is. It doesn't mean you need to just dump everything. No. You have to think about if I tell this story, how will it help someone else? How will it help someone else see differently the possibilities? When I told this story in my TED talk about having 30 days until I pretty much would lose everything, people, one person came up and asked, how long ago was that afterwards? And I said, 10 years. And they said, I would, I've known you and I would never have thought that. So I got real is actually was hard because there's stories that I told in that Ted talk and my daughter was in the room and my mom was, came up to see it. I've talked about it with my wife, but there's things that I shared that my mom and my daughter got to hear me say for the first time with them in the front row in front of me. Oh, wow. So guess what? No matter how real raw and vulnerable you're willing to be, the question is how much impact do you want to have on someone else? And when you say, if it's, if it's huge, you're going to help someone by telling them the truth, by telling them your story. So they, they have hope and opportunity on what they can create, no matter what obstacles they're facing right at the time, the fears that they're facing, the fear of success sometimes can be just as, is polarizing and, and freezing of someone as fear of failure.
0: Why do people fear success? Why?
1: someone doesn't have success and they're not ready for it, all of a sudden they're going to be a different person, what it's going to be. And then all of a sudden they have seen it happen time again. Someone has success. They're now buying Lambos and Ferraris and buying the big condo or house and this and that. And they didn't plan ahead for six months from now. What if that doesn't exactly continue like that? And so they've seen people all of a sudden get upside down and the stress extra stresses. I don't know why people fear success. Listen, I didn't win every race. I used to do everything that I did. Maybe I feared success. Maybe there's something that was holding me back. If I mean the sheer fact that I knew to a fraction of a second of what I would finish my race, and I I was satisfied with a certain number. Maybe. I was scared of what would happen if i if I ran a second faster, then I'd have to go to the state meet and go against the really big boys. Right. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I did hold myself, but actually do, because I'm bringing it up. I probably <laughs> yeah. did hold myself back. Right.
0: It's crazy how it's stored in there. And then when you're talking about, it, you're like, Oh, we actually know the answer. It's all in yeah, there. <laughs> the answer is I was
1: scared of success. I was comfortable with the number that I would hit. Yeah. I was, could I've done better? Yes. Do I know it now? Yes. I didn't have the coach that I have now, sometimes it's myself and sometimes it's the coach that I hire that is willing to challenge me. Mm. Listen, I, we're, we launch companies. I have an entrepreneur incubator. In addition to the agency, we launch companies. I have a company right now that we're launching. It's one product, one market, vertical. It is huge. This company alone, I would be shocked if 12 months from now it's not over $25 million. Shocked. And we're just starting mm. okay now do you believe that i believe this
0: yes i do you have yeah. a lot of conviction i can tell you know how to sell
1: okay <laughs> by the way you just asked me about something i'm not selling you on this no, i mean i did i'm not no, telling i didn't but even it's say it's in your it. it's
0: in your voice it's in your your conviction and that's what i that's why i believe you
1: okay i believe it and everyone on my team believes it and all of a sudden you can rally people through belief. I mean, think about this. Movements are created because of belief. Because someone believes of a greater vision, a greater power, something that can be happen that no one else believes, all of a sudden movements are created, right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> you don't create a movement like, yeah, we got this really cool product. No one else has it. I think we can sell a lot of it. You wanna join my company? Yeah. No, dude, we got the coolest things since sliced bread. Seriously. So what what the here's something to remember. The one with the most certainty wins. If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've got a better product than you have, and I communicate it like it is, I'm going to kick your ass. Okay, I'll give you an example. When we launched my company out in the franchising, I became the CEO of this company, we launched it out in the franchising. Two other companies had a jump start on us. Okay. Two other companies had a jump start on us they started like six months earlier so i said to myself only one of us is going to win and it's going to be us and i told my team this i took over the company i said we are launching out in the franchising there's these two other companies that went out there we're going to kick their ass okay how are we going to do it see there's some old dudes running that company they don't know anything about this new thing called the internet We're going to be the best at SEO and also when people are searching for our company, they're going to find us online. There's this new thing that came out in 2008 called Facebook and we are going to be marketing on Facebook and and actually attracting and paying for our own ads versus going out to these services that everyone else is going. So we're going to find our own people. We're going to set up these things called marketing funnels, which we didn't call them marketing funnels back then. And when someone opted in, They got an email message and when they clicked on the link to watch the video that they got in that email message, guess what? Kevin on my team picked up the phone and called them. Literally. I said, Kevin, when you get that email link, you call five minutes. Exactly. That means they just finished my video. You call them five minutes from from clicking on that link. And here's what's going to happen. They're going to say, Oh my gosh, we won't believe it. I was just watching your video. No way. Really? That's So cool. (laughs) This is, this is meant to be. And guess what? We kicked their ass. We became the top 15 hot ranked franchise by Entrepreneur Magazine within five years. We're ranked in the uh, franchise 500 within three years. Okay? The other companies shut down before those five years. Okay? Why? Because I believed it was possible. I wasn't going to take no for an answer. And I t- attracted people that believed like I believed. So there.
0: <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking about how, how important it is that you manage your state, that you have that energy, because we don't always feel like that. And, like, you know, in the, some days we have, like, you know, our off days. When you're having an off day, how do you get that fire up? You know, like Tony Robbins has different strategies for getting, you know, state management, different things. Is there, like, other than just.
1: Okay, I'm going to tell you a story. Thank yeah. you, Tony Robbins. Okay, so I listened to Tony. So I didn't go become an, an entrepreneur until I was close to 40 years old, mm-hmm. okay? I worked in corporate America and then became a, an executive in a company. Yeah. I thought I was an entrepreneur and then once I realized I wasn't, I, then I became a real one, right? Yeah. So when you're getting a paycheck every month, whether or not, you're not an entrepreneur. I found that out. So I was driving for my first interview in sales And the company was looking for someone in Georgia, and I was living in Clearwater, Florida. I already told you, bumming around, taking photos, hustling for jobs, right? And the manager from Atlanta was going to be in Tallahassee, Florida. I lived in Clearwater. It was about five hours away, and he wanted to meet me at 830 in the morning. Mm -hmm. Now, I had just enough money from my photography gig to pay for my beer and party money on weekends and going out with my friends. Seriously, that's all I had enough money for maybe gas to get up there. I didn't have money to go up and stay in a hotel overnight. So I left at like two 30 or three in the morning and I just bought the cassette series from Nightingale Conan. Before we had anything online, you'd buy cassettes and it was from this company called Nightingale Conan. And I bought Tony Robbins had a six CD set. I think it was on personal power. Yeah. And I remember listening to that. Well, by the time I got to the interview and I got there early I was literally banging on my chest saying, yes, 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 there is no way that this company's not hiring me. I don't care that I don't even want the job and I don't want to move to Atlanta, Georgia that I'm still living in, you know, 30 years later, right, or 25 years later, I was getting that job. And I remember him asking me the question in the interview. He said, you've never worked in in the field and I've never hired anyone without experience. I usually hire people with five to 10 years experience in sales. And my answer to him right there was, yeah, you probably get someone with one-year experience five, time, five years over. With me, I'm a clean slate. You tell me what to do, I will do it. You tell me to run through that wall, I'll run through that wall. If you tell me that this is what I need to do in order to get the customer, I will do whatever you say. He just looked at me as like, wow, I got the second interview. And they both said the same thing. Within two years, I was one of the top, I was within a year and a half, I was the top performing person in my district and one of the top performing people in the entire country. Why? Because I wanted to win. I wanted to do what it took. I wanted to serve the clients. I remember the one of the interviews that I'm launching out on the podcast was my first customer ever. Wow. He's 96 years old today and I interviewed him and he's one of the the podcasts that are coming out this week. He's a 96-year-old Holocaust survivor named Henry Friedman. He was the hardest client that I've ever had. He'd call me at 6 a.m., wake me up, and say, did I wake you up, just to see if you wake me up. He said, I need you to go run and get me a case of straws. You need me to drive an hour to get a a case and an hour back to the warehouse. Yes. Are you going to do it? You want my business, don't you? He did that to me for six months. My boss even said, when I got to meet him, my boss told me that the guy, I remember the guy's name, Joe Lampe, uh, he said, I I had to let Joe go because he couldn't handle this customer. And I said, great, and he's giving to me, it's my first person that I'm gonna be working with. Three months into it, he says, uh, John says, Henry's wasting your time. You need to go find another customer. You need to go build someone else. I did and I kept doing everything for Henry because I wanted to prove that I could do something that someone else got fired for. And within two years of getting that account, they grew from 250,000 when I got them to over 2 million. That was my first you know, in corporate America client. And so when I found out that Henry was alive, still alive, I wanted him to be one of the first interviews that I had. And I went out with my video guy and Mike Henry up at his house, and uh, I wrote about him in a book that I wrote, and it was uh, Acres of di- It was talking about diamonds in the rough, and the diamonds that are in your own backyard. And my boss was telling me to go somewhere else to get the diamonds, and I knew that if I worked hard enough, the diamonds are right there in front of me, and that diamond was Henry. He's a beautiful person, and he was just pushing me harder than he was pushing me to see how hard and how much I really wanted his business value. If you want to be good at building sales, if you want to be good at building a company, if you want to be good at building a team, you have to provide value.
0: Wow. Well said, man. Thank you so much. Where can we find you? Where's the best place to check you out?
1: Well, if you want to check out my company, it's businessnitrogen.com. And our podcast site will be getnakedinbusiness.com. So if you go to getnakedinbusiness.com, you can check out my podcast and that site will, that URL will link right to it.
0: Perfect. We're going to have everything in the show notes for everybody to check you out. When is your TED Talk live? What is that? Is that out now or is that?
1: Uh, it's not out yet. It's not out yet. I'm looking. It for will this. be out. As soon as it's out, I will post a link for it. It's it, now it's in Ted's hand.
0: Okay. Awesome. We'll have all your social media as well in the show notes. So it's super clear for everybody. And man, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us.
1: my pleasure thanks for having me
0: it was so good man and i always want to end off with the final question that i ask everybody out of all the things out of all the adversity all the challenges what is one lesson that adversity has taught you
1: just keep going just keep going you put one foot up everything i learned about adversity comes from frosty the snowman You put one foot in front of the other and soon you'll be walking through the door. There, I sang for you. You just got to keep putting one foot in front of another. And as long as you keep putting that foot in front of the next, you're creating momentum and you just keep doing it and you don't lose until you stop.
0: Love it. All right, everybody. Make sure to check out David. Awesome guy. His podcast is going to be incredible. Get Naked in Business. Thank you so much, everybody. The man, the myth, the legend, David Asarno.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks, everybody. Make sure to check out David. His TED Talk's coming out soon. And his podcast, Get Naked in Business, which we discussed, is going to be awesome. When you guys hear this episode, it's launched. It's live. So go check it out right now. Subscribe. Hit him up. Tell him you heard him on University of Adversity. Make sure you subscribe. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show, everybody. Share it with a friend that needs it. I love you. Have an amazing day.